0: Good morning. I don't know if you've heard this story. If you haven't, here you go. It's about a doctor, a lawyer, and a little boy, and a priest who were uh, out for a Sunday afternoon flight on a small private plane. So, so far, so good. But when suddenly the plane developed engine trouble. And so in spite of the best efforts of the pilot, the plane started to go down. Finally, the pilot grabbed the parachute and yelled to the passengers that they better jump, and he himself bailed out. Unfortunately, there were only three parachutes remaining, and so the doctor grabbed one and said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, so I must live, and he jumps out. The lawyer then said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. He also grabbed a parachute and jumped. And so the priest looked at the little boy and said, my son, I've lived a long and full life. You are young and have your whole life ahead of you. Take the last parachute and live in peace. Uh, The little boy handed the parachute back to the priest and said, Not to worry, Father. The smartest man in the world just took off with my backpack. And so I share that story for two reasons. One, I appreciate the laughter. I said this in first service, so I'll say it again. I was at our staff meeting this past Tuesday, I was like, guys, I don't have a story to start the message. I have this one, is this one any good? And so I shared it with the staff hoping to see if there was gonna be a reaction. And Brian, who was up here earlier before I could get to the end, said the lawyer took it. And so I did not know if it was gonna be any good. So thanks for that, Brian. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, But the reason I share that is we hear this story, right? We, We laugh, we think it's funny, but we look at the lawyer, we're like, man, that was a jerk mood, that wasn't very loving, that wasn't very kind, and what's ironic is that in that moment, not only do we say, yeah, that was not a loving thing for him to do, but in that moment, he did what he thought was best for his own good, and it actually turned out not to be good for him at all. Right? And I think so oftentimes in our lives, we do things that we should not do, or maybe we know we shouldn't do, but because we want to do it so bad, we do it anyway. And we think that these things are going to uh, do for us something that they won't, and then we end up disappointed. And so here's the question that I want us to look at as we begin this morning, and that's this. But are you a loving person? Would you consider yourself a loving person? Now, I think most of us would answer this in one of two ways. We would either say, yes, I am, or I'm trying to be, or we would say, you know, maybe not all the time, like I could get better, but for the most part, I understand that I'm not, and I can get better, and I don't want to get better. And so what we're doing today is we're looking at, we're in this series called Life Over Death. It's coming from Easter. We talked about how, we said on Easter that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And so in this series, Life Over Death, we're talking practically some of the ways that that actually happens. Like, what does that actually mean that He comes to give us life? And so today we're looking at this topic of love over Lust, how following Jesus allows us to experience and to demonstrate love in ways that we could not have done without Him. And what that does is it actually gives us life in ways that we could not have experienced without Him. Again, He didn't come to make bad people good, He came to make dead people live. And so that's what we're talking about today. And so to make sure that we're on the same, ter- uh, on the same page, I think it's helpful to, des- to define our terms. And that is, what do we mean by lust? And so I consulted the theological uh, work of Wikipedia. And uh, the scholarly work there, and this is what Wikipedia says. It says this, that lust is a psychological force producing intense wanting or longing for an object or circumstance fulfilling the emotion. Lust can take any form, such as the lust for sexuality, love, money, or power. Now, if you're like, okay, that kind of gets it, but that's kind of wordy, here's basically what lust is. Lust is desiring personal fulfillment no matter the cost. It's saying, I want this thing or this person or whatever it might be, no matter who it might hurt for me to get it, no matter what it might take for me to obtain it, I'm going to do it no matter... The cost. And so, what that often means is that sometimes we can get in trouble pursuing things. Maybe it's not because the thing that we want is necessarily bad, but the way in which we're trying to get it, it can actually be a lustful thing. And so, what I want to do is we're going to look at a few passages today, and so all the scripture will be on the screen. The first one is in 1 John chapter 2, um, but you are more than welcome if you want to grab the Black Bible in front of you or if you brought one to follow along with us. Uh, 1 John was written by Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples, John, towards the the end of his long life. And here's what he says, talking about this idea of love over lust. He says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. In other words, you might be looking at this and if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible Christianity, if you're familiar with what John wrote in John three sixteen in his gospel, where he says, Jesus so loved the world that he came. So you might be a little confused. What do you mean? Jesus loved the world. We're not supposed to love the world. What he's actually saying is simply this. He's not saying that we are supposed to Reject the world we're just not supposed to love the things of the world and, and love them and desire them more than God. And so God loves the world, He created us, He loves us, but the things that we pursue are never to be the ultimate things in our life, because they cannot do for us what we want them to do. So do not love the things of the world. And he says this: that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not. So again, if you love the things of the world more than other people, uh, that means that God's love is not in you. What what John is trying to say is really a double meaning. He's trying to say this. He's referring to both the love that God has for the people and the love that we have for Him. In other words, if we haven't recognized God's love, then we will not love Him in return because God is love. And I want to just say this real quick, that John is not saying this in a condemning way way. He's not saying, how dare you for loving the things in the world and not loving the way God has loved you. What, instead, this is an invitation. He's saying, come and experience the love of God and who He is so that it can change your life. Then he continues in verse 16 by saying this, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father. So when we desire things that are not good for us, or we don't care who we hurt in the process, that is not from God. Instead, he says this, it is from the world. Verse 17, and the world with its lust is passing Away. In other words, all these things are temporary; they will not last forever. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. And so, what he's simply, what he's kind of saying is this: that that lust could be wrong simply, be, simply because God says it's wrong. Right? Lust could be wrong because God says, I don't want you to do it, and it's wrong. And while that is true, uh, I would venture to say this, and I could be wrong about this, but I would argue this, that what if the biggest reason that God uh, wants us not to lust after things or wants us not to pursue things that are not good for us is not simply because they're wrong, but instead because they don't actually give you life. Because here's what we know about God, that God's desire for you is to experience Life. Now, here's what we know in this world, in this broken and fallen world, we will not experience life to the degree in which that God wants us to experience, and that we will experience in the kingdom of God. It's going to be the kingdom of heaven is going to be something so much more amazing than we can even comprehend. Why? Because God desires to give us life, and God Himself is life. And so, I think here's the thing that when He says, when when God says not to do these things or certain things are not good for us, we say this all the time. It is not to restrict us. It is not to hold us back. But it could it be because Because he knows since he created us and he loves us, he knows what actually it looks like to actually experience life. And so when he says, hey, don't do this, or "or this does not honor me, it is true that it's a sin and it's not a good thing, but it's also not good because it's not good for you. I think of it this way, and if you have kids, you can relate. I've got a four-year-old daughter named Finley and a one-year-old son, Roman, and Roman's one, so he doesn't really know what's happening right now, but for Finley more so. Like, we have rules and restrictions in place for Finley, and it's not because we want to hold her back, but it's because we want to her to actually experience life like if it was up to her she would eat candy and mac and cheese for breakfast lunch and dinner but that's not good for her right and so we don't let her do it it's not because we we don't want her to have things that she likes but because we know that that is not healthy and if she does that her entire life she will not be able to live a functional life but that will actually hold her back from doing the things that she wants to do even if she has no idea that she wants to do them right now or uh you know screen time right We limit her screen time. She doesn't get to watch shows whenever she wants to. Now, she might think, I don't understand. That's not fair. That's not fun. But the reason that we limit it for her is because we want her to really experience life. And if you're sitting in front of a screen your entire life, your brain doesn't develop right. You don't learn how to interact with others. Like, it does not set you up for a life that you can live. And so we restrict things not to hold her back, but so that she can actually experience life. It's the same reason our kids have bedtime, right? Because Mom and dad need a break, and that's why they go to bed early, right? Because mom and dad need to experience some life, right? And so that's why that's why we, we do that. And so here's what I want us to know this morning as we look at this idea of love over lust. Here's what I want us to know, that temporary pleasures temporarily satisfy. Temporary pleasures temporarily satisfy. This is not like a Christian idea. This is just the reality of the situation, that things that are temporary— can only satisfy you temporarily. Now, Now, this does not mean that every desire you have is wrong, right? So if you want to eat food, that is a good desire to have because if you never eat food, you will die. However, if that desire runs your life and you're always wanting to eat whatever you want, whatever you want, right, that will ultimately lead to your destruction. That will not be good for you, right? And so you have to limit your desires. You have to control your desires so that you can experience life or money. Like, the desire to make money is not a bad thing. In fact, you should have that desire to support your family just so you can live. Like, that's good. You know, taking showers and deodorant, that stuff's good to buy. Like, you need money for these things. However, what often happens is if we're not careful, that that desire, that that, that thing that we want will actually run our life. And so we're always buying the next thing with terrible money. We're We're enslaved to all this debt. We've got all these things because why? We're looking for this thing to actually satisfy us, not just provide for us and not just to allow us to experience good things from time to time, but to actually satisfy us. And the reality is, again, that temporary pleasures temporarily satisfy; They will not last forever, which is the biggest reason why I believe God tells us not to pursue them, not to hold us back, but so that we can actually experience life. And so here's why it's important for us to know that temporary pleasure is temporarily satisfied, because lust is temporary. By definition, lust is temporary. It is is something that will not last forever for you. And so you pursue these things again and again and again, no matter the cost. There's a book recently uh, written by a, a neurosurgeon, a doctor, and it's called The Hacking of the American Mind. Now, the author of this book, this doctor, is not a Christian, but he's looking at all this from a scientific perspective. And he says this, that happiness is linked to serotonin. So it's this, you know, chemical reaction in your brain when you feel happy. Uh, serotonin comes into your body or however it works. I don't know, but you like it, right? And But pleasure, however, pleasure releases endorphins, and they do radically different things. And he says this, all throughout human history, happiness has all, has, been, uh, has been linked to contentment that when you and i are content that is what makes us happy when we're good with what's going on in our life and when we're content with what we have that's what we're ha- that's what makes us experience happiness the problem is we today live in a capitalistic society not that capitalism is wrong but the way in which we do it is detrimental to our health because it is a society that's built on discontentment And so everything that is uh, made and sold to you is sold to you in this way. Your life isn't good enough without it. You need this thing to experience life. You've got to buy this new thing or have this new thing. You've got to keep up. And so what we're told is that instead of happiness being contentment, happiness is now pleasure and pleasure is always temporary. And so part of the reason we are more depressed and more anxious than we've ever been is because we've redefined happiness as pleasure. And since pleasure cannot be something that satisfies you over a long period of time, none of us are happy. And so we've got these massive problems in our life today because you could put it another way, that we are living off this desire of lust. We're trying to find all these things and it it satisfies us for a little bit and then we need it again and we need it more and more and more. Again, think of it this way, the biggest issue in your life, maybe the biggest weakness or the biggest uh, sin struggle you have didn't start out that way. Right? It was a one-time thing that turned into a two-time thing, and then a third, and then now it's this big thing that's running your life because it cannot satisfy you the way that you thought it would. And so you may be thinking of it this way, then if, if desires in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, how do I know if a desire that I have has turned uh, to lust or maybe another way made an idol? Like, how do I know if it's an idol? How do I know if I've, if I've made it a bigger deal or have made it be more important to God? How do I know that's happened? Recently, I had a friend who, who defined an idol this way, and I thought it was really helpful. Here's what an idol is. An idol is I'm willing to disobey God in order to get it. This can kind of help us know if I'm lusting after something in an unhealthy way, if I'm lusting no matter what it costs, no matter who it may hurt, I want to go for this thing. Am I willing to disobey God in order to get it that may show us, and I would say does show us, that what we're desiring is not Good for us if I'm willing to disobey God. Remember, God is not restrictive; He's not holding us back. He wants us to experience life, and so when we disobey Him, the the irony is, in the moment it might feel great, but long term is actually leading to our demise, our destruction, and ultimately our death. If I'm willing to disobey God in order to get it, that may show you that this is a lustful thing or an idle thing, a thing in your life. And so here's what we need to do, right? If this is true that temporary things only temporarily satisfy and lust by definition is temporary because it is pleasure based here's what we need to do you and i need to choose love over lust we need to choose love over lust and the reason we need to choose it is because it is not the default choice in our hearts Default choice in our hearts is I'm in it for me, I'm selfish, I'm prideful, I want what I want. We have to choose love, otherwise, we will not do it. And, and so, you may be thinking, what does this mean? Like, how do I actually do this? One way to put it, one way to think of it is this way choosing what is good for others is loving. When we choose not to put our desires first, but to put other people first, that is actually the loving thing to do. And we have to choose it because naturally that is not our impulse, right? Our impulse is to do whatever we want, which is what causes so much havoc in our lives and in the lives of those Around us, and so what I want to do is I want to read a a passage in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that you have either undoubtedly read in your life, or if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this thing, you've heard this passage taught. So you've heard this before, and this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing about love. Now I want to be clear before I read this that there's only two options here. That there's either the loving option. Or there is the lustful option. There is no in-between. It's either what is good for others or what's good for us, no matter what else anyone may think or no matter how it may hurt them. And so here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 to describe love, and he says it's this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's what love is. And we read that and we're like, yes, that's awesome. That's what I would love to strive to be or that's what I want to experience. But if it's true that lust is the opposite of love, right? Lust is about what we want and what's good for us, no matter how it may hurt people. And love is about what's good for other people. You could read it this way. Now, to be clear, this is not in the Bible. This is just the opposite of this, okay? It'll be on the screen. You could read it this way. If lust is the opposite of love, that lust is impatient, right? It wants what it wants right now. Lust is unkind. It does not care how it impacts other people. Uh, Lust is full of envy, is boastful, is arrogant, is rude, is selfish, right? It's in it for itself. It is irritable. It's mad if it doesn't get what it wants right now and keeps a record of wrongs. Lust finds joy in unrighteousness and rejects the truth. It doesn't care what's good. It doesn't care what's right, right? It avoids all things distrusts all things, hurts all things, gives up on all things, and ultimately, lust always ends. By definition, lust always ends. And so let me ask you this, which of these two options would you rather have? Love or lust? Or maybe put it this way, which of these two would you rather have happen to you? My guess is you and I would choose Love, and imagine in an ideal world where this happens, where people are constantly putting what's good for others and loving and serving others. This is what makes a good marriage when a husband and a wife are actually doing this to the best that they can. and No one's perfect, but if they're actually serving and loving one another, that's what makes a good marriage. And here's the good thing. This is exactly what the kingdom of God is gonna be like. This ideal world is something that is for us, for those that are in Christ. That's what it means to love. And so here's what you could you could put this another way. When we talk about this idea of loving and how you actually do it, we said this a few weeks ago, but it's it worth bears repeating since we're talking about it today. That you could say this: that doing what is good for others is always good for me. This is what love is. Love is doing. It is being kind. It is being selfless. It is it is doing. It is caring. It is being patient. What we just read here. It is doing what is good for others, and the irony is, even though it can be hard and difficult in the moment, ultimately, that is what is best for you. Number one, you just feel better. Like, we all feel better when we serve people, and number two, again, if there's a community, a society of people that are doing this, ultimately, it'll be good for you because people are also loving and serving you. This is the thing about love, is that we think, that we get this twisted. We think we pursue lustful passions because we get what we want in the moment, but it's actually bad for us in the long run. And love can be hard in the moment, but ultimately it is what is best for you. And speaking of love, John, I'll read one more passage. Uh, John says this in, in 1 John chapter 4, so two chapters over of what we read earlier, talking about this idea of love, right? And where does this idea of love even come from? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. Where does love come from? Here's where it comes from. He says this in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. he says. love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Then he says this, verse 8, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. In other words, we can't follow Jesus if we're not loving because that, by definition following Jesus means we've experienced the love he's given to us. Verse 9, uh, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live, not be restricted, not be held back, but you and I might live through him. And so here's what's interesting, that without God, there is no love. Love literally does not exist if God does not exist. I don't know if you know this. We live in a culture today where we says that we a lot of people say, whether or not they're Christians or not, right? We just say, God is love. The God that I believe in is love. Now I would say that's true, right? We just see here that God actually is love. But I would push back a little bit because I think oftentimes when we talk about this ethereal God, not the God of not Jesus, but just God in general, spirituality in general, we we say that this, this God is loving because we don't know what love actually is. Like in our culture today, we define love as doing whatever makes me happy, and God's good with it because He loves me. That is not what love is. Love is actually caring for you, uh, being willing to speak into your life when things are difficult. And what we see here is that the only, I don't know if you know this, but the only concept, I always want to ask people that are like, ah, Jesus, not, not Jesus, but God, but God's love. I'm like, where do you get this idea? Did you know that there is not a single religion in the world that describes God as a God of love outside of Christianity? You have religions that talk about God being an impersonal force, things, the universe, whatever. Uh, the, you have religions talk about God is angry and must be appeased. you got to do these certain things. The closest you have in any real religion to Christianity is Islam, and they will not say that Allah is a God of love. They will only say that he is a God of mercy. That's as close as it gets. So if you say God is a God of love, let me ask, Where do you get that? Because you don't get it from any other religion in the world except from Scripture. And you know where you also don't get that? You don't get it from nature. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I know why this world is broken. It is not what it will be when God returns. But you don't get it from nature either, because what happens? You see hurricanes, you see tsunamis, you see earthquakes, you see natural disasters that wipe out towns and communities, right? You cannot look to nature and see God as a God of love. So where do you get this idea? The only way, which is why you see this often in a Western, and specifically in American context, the only way that you can see God as a God of love outside of the Bible is by living. Living in a tight knit American culture where coffee is five dollars, we never talk about death, where everything is about convenience and comfort for me, that the rest of the world has no idea, has never experienced that, and most of human history has not experienced what we are experiencing now. You do not see God as a God of love anywhere outside of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that what you're going through is not hard. You might be going through something difficult and extremely tragic right now. I'm just saying, generally speaking, our culture that we live in today is not normal. Most people in the world, but if you just walked up to them, they have no idea, they never heard about Jesus or anything, you say God is a God is a God of love, they would look at you like you are crazy. The only idea that we have of love is from God And even to take a step further, this is not me just being like a pastor and trying to convince you that God exists. If God does not exist, everything you and I do is selfish, aka lustful. If we take God out of the picture, which is what happens if God doesn't exist, then all we are left with is naturalism and materialism, a naturalistic, materialistic evolution in which God has no part. And what does science say? If that is true, that everything you do is for your own benefit, Everything you do is because you have chemical reactions in your brain telling you, I want this and I want to do this. And you may say, well, no, 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 no. Like I'm a good person and I like, I, I serve people. I do things. Science would tell you that the only reason you do anything altruistic is because there is some sort of survival technique in you that is getting something out of it. That literally, if God does not exist, love does not exist at all. The only reason we even have love is because God is who He says He is and because God is love. And so what this means is that choosing love starts with choosing God. In other words, you cannot love to the degree in which you were created to do without God. Now, let me be clear. You do not have to follow Jesus to be a loving person, right? We all know people, maybe you don't follow Jesus. I have plenty of people that I know that do not follow Jesus that are great people. Why? Because what does Scripture say? All of us are created in God's image. Even if we do not follow him, we we have some of the attributes that God has. And because God is a loving God, you and I are loving even if we do not follow him. However, you and I cannot love people and cannot experience the love to the degree in which we were designed to apart from him because he is love. He is love, and it starts with choosing him so that we can experience it and also give it out in the way that we were created to give it. And so here is why you and I need to choose love over lust. Here's ultimately the reason why. Because living in lust will leave you living alone. And again, this is not just a Christian idea. This is just the reality of the situation. That living in lust will leave you living alone. And we've all done this, right? We've all done things where we were like, I want this thing. I'm going to pursue this thing no matter what might happen, no matter who it may hurt. And if you and I do that in perpetuity, I tried, I said this first service. You think I learned how to say that word. I don't know what that word is. You know what I'm trying to say. If you always do it, ultimately, it'll leave you living to by yourself, right? You've, you've hurt people. You've wronged people. And so ultimately, if you're always living for yourself, it may feel good in the moment, but ultimately, you will be alone. And so we must choose love, and it starts by choosing God so that we can actually experience life the way God designed us to experience. Now, real quick, I just want to say this, because you may have assumed when I said love over lust that we would be talking about sexuality the whole time. So let me just hit on that really quick. Here's the thing when it comes to love and sexuality and lust in in, in a physical way, that lust treats people as objects to be conquered instead of people to be loved. And so when we're, we're trying, to, trying to, to, uh, to fulfill our sexual appetites in a way that are not life-giving to us, by definition, we are lusting after people. By definition, lust, lust is doing what I want, no matter who it hurts. We are treating them as objects, not as people. This is why it's a big deal, not just for the things that we pursue, but also how we view and treat other people. Because people are not things to be conquered. They are people to be loved, just like Jesus loved you. And so here's really kind of the, let me just say this. I know this is hard, right? Because the, here's the reality situation, that lust will ultimately lead to death. And, and love is harder, but it's so much better. Like it is hard, whether it's a way, maybe you have got lustful sexual desires that are not good for you, or maybe you and I are you're pursuing something, whether money or whatever it might be for you. Like it's hard to choose love. It's hard to choose love when someone wrongs you. It's hard to choose love when you feel like you've had everything go against you and you just deserve this one thing this one time, right? It is hard, but ultimately, it produces life for you. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10. It's a well-known verse. He says it this way. He says, a thief, and he's talking about Satan here. He says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come so that they may have life and life in abundance. You could take that word out for thief. You could put lust there. The lust comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have something so much better for you. And it may be hard and difficult in the moment, but it will give you life. Again, I did not come to hold you back. I did not come to restrict you. I did not come to condemn you. I came to give you life if you will come and follow me. And if this is true, here's really the main point, the bottom line for this morning that lust feels good for a moment, but love is good for a lifetime. Lust feels good. That's why we do it, right? It's not like it's a terrible thing, otherwise we wouldn't do it, right? It feels good. Whatever the thing that you're pursuing or you're doing, whatever that might be for you, I know we all can think of things in our life that were like, yeah, that probably disobeys God, or maybe I'm not sure about Jesus and the whole God thing, but I probably, this probably isn't good for me. It feels good or else you wouldn't do it. But it only feels good for a moment, which is what the scripture says is enslaving, right? Our culture today, we love this idea of freedom. That is like, that is the God of our culture. No one tells me what to do. I want to do whatever I want. Whenever I have desire, I have to pursue it or else. And scripture would say that is slavery, that every time you have a desire, you have to pursue it. That's not freedom. Freedom is saying, look, I am not a contr- I'm not controlled by my desires. I'm not controlled by my thoughts. I can make decisions because I'm following Jesus. Freedom is not I have to get what I want whenever I want it. Freedom is I can say no so that I can experience the life that Jesus offers. And here's the good news about all of this. This is literally the gospel. The gospel is literally that Jesus chose love. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast. Do you know who that was describing? That was literally describing Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came, again, we get this this messed up. We feel like God came because he needs us and he's hoping that more and more people follow him so his ego feels better. Listen, God doesn't need you for anything. He doesn't need me for anything. The only reason he came at all is because he loves you. That is why he came. He came for us to experience life. The gospel is not you try really hard and then Jesus will give you life. The gospel is in the midst of your lusts, in the midst of your screwing up, in the midst of your shame. Jesus came because he loves you and he invites you to follow him today, not when you have it all figured out. He said, no, I'm going to go on this journey with you. I'm going to give my life so that you can experience life and love yourself. And when you and I experience that love, what happens? When someone wrongs us, we don't have to get it right all the time. When someone hurts us, then we can actually forgive them, not because we're strong enough, but because we're leaning into the power and the spirit and the love of God. This is literally why he came, to do for us what we could not do for our own. This is why it is good news. It is not good news because we try really hard, and with Jesus trying really hard on the cross, then together hopefully we're good enough. No, it's good news because Jesus did everything. This is why we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, because it's practical implications for our life every single day. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live, and one of the ways we live is by experiencing the love that he has for us so that we can then go and share it with other people. So I just want to say, again, no matter who you are, no matter what you may have walked in here with today, God loves you. That is why he came, and he's inviting you and I to follow him today, not tomorrow when we have everything figured out. Because maybe you don't know this by now, you will never have everything figured out. That is why Jesus came again. Lust feels good for a moment, but love is good for a lifetime. That is why Jesus came to invite us into a loving relationship with himself, where we can experience grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And it is not our doing, it is his doing. And when we follow him, that is when we experience life. Again, lust is good for a moment, but love is good for a lifetime, and that is why Jesus came. Let's pray.